Welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast, where I talk to developers who are also in business of one form or another. And I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you're a developer who wants to get into business, or maybe if you're already in business and you just want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 23 with Eve Porcello and Alex Banks. One quick announcement before we get started today. I've just embarked on a new project with my friend and collaborator Otto Kukic to build a platform to make it easier for event speakers to find and apply to tech events. We're calling it speak.dev, and you can find information about it at the web address speak.dev. So what's the deal with this project? Well, one thing that I love doing in the tech industry is to speak at different events. So whether that's conferences or meetups, I love to travel, get on stage, and ultimately meet and connect with new people in the industry. But finding events to apply to hasn't always been the easiest. I speak at about a dozen events per year, and I often find myself scouring about five or six different resources to get info on events. Then I need to make sure I apply to them before the deadline, I need to make sure that I don't double book myself, and this has always been kind of a pain and is something about the process that I haven't enjoyed a whole lot. It turns out that Otto has had the same pain when it comes to applying to conferences and meetups as well. Otto is a seasoned event speaker, and he actually does that for his job. He works in developer relations. So he's going to conferences and meetups all the time, and he has to go through the exact same stuff, except for him, it is a lot worse because he's doing a lot more of it. He and I have talked to a lot of people in the industry who have the same kind of pain, and so that's why we decided to do something about it. And that's why we are building speak.dev. The ultimate goal is to help event speakers find and manage their events better and just generally make it easier and more enjoyable for them to do more speaking. Now the cool part about this project is that we're doing pretty much everything out in the open. So that means we're live streaming almost everything we do from planning and organizing to actually writing the code and everything in between. So if you'd like to follow along with us and you'd like to get notified about when we go live, head over to speak.dev and sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is speak.dev, so all spelled out, D-O-T, dev. And we've also got the same handle on Twitch, which is where we'll be live streaming. We'd love it if you followed along with us, and we hope to see you there. My guests today are Eve Porcello and Alex Banks. Together, Eve and Alex operate Moon Highway, where they teach cutting-edge JavaScript to developers of all skill levels. Eve and Alex are the authors of Learning GraphQL and Learning React for O'Reilly, and they have a workshop offering focused on full-stack GraphQL. When not coding, they enjoy their time in beautiful Lake Tahoe. Eve and Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Very excited to have you here and chat about all that you're doing, uh, particularly around your workshops, your books. Um, I wonder if maybe we could start there uh, with, with your books. Um, so you, you've got books published with O'Reilly. So you've got Learning GraphQL, Learning React. Um, tell me a little bit about what the authoring process is like when you are going through a publisher, uh, an established publisher like O'Reilly. It's kind of funny because <clears throat> when we decided we wanted to write a book, it was just sort of like a goal. We we're like, hmm, we we're teaching a lot. And we we're like, hmm, we'd like to write a book. And we had no clue like how to do it or like or like yeah. what it is. It was just one of those goals that you put up there on the shelf. Um, but then things started happening. And, and the weirdest thing is 
when we had the idea for Learning React, all we did was submit a proposal to O'Reilly. We didn't know anyone over there, um, okay. and they just went through the proposal and then contacted us back, and we took it from there. Um, so it was surprisingly um, accessible. You know, I was I was convinced that we were going to have to, like, meet people. We were um, contracting with Yahoo and Develop Intelligence and stuff at the time, and we knew that they had some authors and some connections, and we were trying to work it like that. But then when it came down to it, the thing that actually, like, landed us a book deal was React itself because we got introduced to React, like, super early. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, we got lucky in that the timing was right. They didn't have any React books at that Point, or they were just starting right. in production with one other one. And so, um, yeah, we, we were very surprised that a contact form on a website <laughs> actually yielded us writing a book, yeah. but it was pretty cool. I think people I barely know. knew what React was. I remember, like, when I first heard about it, I went, you know, to the Internet to search for it, and it wasn't on any of the other charts. It was, like, Angular, Ember, Backbone. Those were all the things that were being compared. And, um React wasn't even out there at all yet. So we kind of got lucky with, with the timing on that. And that's how we started doing um, courses for LinkedIn Learning, too. Was, okay. Was LinkedIn React. Learning, formerly Linda. Formerly, it was Linda right. then, actually. That was, yeah. It was Linda back <laughs> yeah. then. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's, that's yeah, that is early React. I'm guessing that would be, what era is that, 2014-ish, mm -hmm. probably? Yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. So you were very early. Yeah. So is it... Um, is it safe to say that perhaps nowadays, if you wanted to write a book for a publisher like O'Reilly in something like React, it's not so easy uh, to just go to a contact form, fill out your idea, and, and have a book deal? Is, is it a bit more challenging these days for folks who are interested in doing the same? No, I think, I mean, yeah. O'Reilly has been, like, such an established, well-reputable pub publisher for such a long time. I think that, like, a lot of stuff with technology is about timing is hmm, honestly okay. like i think that it makes like no one really knew who we were we didn't have any type of following we didn't write blogs even you know we started out right. uh with, with the book so i think like the thing that kind of helped you know um us accomplish it from from that way is the fact that you know that we were early with the technology um Got so it. yeah and I, I think that there's opportunities like people like want authors to write books people want to read books and so on and so forth so there's plenty of opportunities to write yeah and, yeah, we get sent uh, proposals on occasion from our editors over there for other authors. And we um, a lot of the React books that are coming out these days are a different angle on React, but it's not necessarily not accessible. It's just like finding an angle that hasn't been covered yet. If you have right, a good right. idea with a proposal and you put in a good proposal and blow their minds, they'll call you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah. What, uh, so what makes a good proposal, would you say? Because I think there's, a, there's probably a lot of folks out there who are interested in doing something like you've done, you know, write a book for a publisher. Um, I, see, I see folks on Twitter especially have uh, interest in that direction. And so what is it, what would you recommend makes a good proposal? What's going to catch their eye? I think for, for us, it was training, right? Because it's like our focus was so much on training and our classes and courses were all about teaching you exactly what you needed to know to get the job done. Like if you told somebody, oh yeah, I'm a React expert. And then you went home and were like, what is React? Like your best chance of like actually being able to cover for that would be to read our book because we put in just what you need to know and we leave right. out a lot of the other stuff that you can learn once you know the core foundation of yeah, I think what you said is right. Just focus on something, on a just linear path of knowledge. There's a lot of React stuff that we don't cover in our book, um, but we cover 
kind of everything you would need to know to really work with it. And then you can be responsible for uh, going to all the corners of the React ecosystem and doing mm. um, other things. But yeah, I think the focus of that has been helpful when putting in proposals. Yeah, and for us it's training because we were training experts. So I think you have to take like, what you're, you're everybody is good at computer science they're good at programming so what's the other thing our angle on it was mm -hmm. training so you know is your angle on it uh team management or um distributed architecture or whatever it is mm -hmm. um we want to hear from you about the thing that you're expert that you're yeah. an expert on <laughs> so. right i see okay that makes sense so I, i'd love to hear too about your thoughts about publishing uh sorry going through a publisher to get your book out there versus self-publishing um perhaps you've seen this with a lot of uh authors especially in the tech space is like you know there's a, there's a lot of authors who focus on putting a book out themselves rather than going through a traditional publisher um was that something that you considered as you were approaching these books or is it kind of that you you know you only had it in mind to go through a publisher for example curious about your thoughts on on the two approaches yeah i think self-publishing is a really um interesting route to go i think um a lot of folks have made <laughs> considerable income from self-published uh books and courses and things like that for us we were kind of teaching a lot we're teaching a ton of enterprise companies but we didn't really have a huge following as far as twitter mm -hmm. and those types of things our website was one page that maybe wasn't updated in several years and uh, we were really busy and we're getting a lot of work done but um having that infrastructure to take on the responsibility of publishing and editing and those types of things was something that we just didn't know too much about and it was right. something that we really relied on and then once the book came out it's just instant credibility for your mm -hmm. um knowledge we've had a ton of speaking opportunities and training opportunities that have come from those books um yeah and that's something that we might not have found the audience for if we hadn't gone with o'reilly yeah, like our our goal wasn't to publish. It was to write to write a book. It's like <laughs> we want to write a book and make our parents proud of us. You know, like okay, like, yeah, like stuff yeah. like that. You know, so so it's like whatever anybody else could do, we'll do the writing. <laughs> and, but so I yeah. think that's what it is with self publishing. Is um you kind of have to build your own publishing company. And throughout mm -hmm. the years of uh, building training, building online training and stuff, we're kind of getting to the point where we are creating our own materials and we are doing a lot more of our own stuff. But we have the following. If we were to self-publish our book learning react we probably wouldn't be on this podcast because it's like <laughs> the it was o'reilly that kind of like got our name out there and people were right, like well right. who's this well <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, that makes yeah. sense that's uh yeah there's there's definitely trade-offs right um i i have spoken with with folks who are on both sides of the fence, those who have done self-publishing and have been successful with it, and, and they're, in their mind, that's the only way to go. But then there's also folks I've talked to who have built up a following like you have uh, through, I guess, on, on the back, as it were, of, of a publisher like O'Reilly, right? Um, having exposure to a much wider audience is, is certainly beneficial. So I, I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's one good best way to do it. I think there's trade-offs either way, but it sounds like you've found uh, a, something that works well for you. Uh, I'm curious about your approach to workshops now. So you, you do, uh, you have a workshop offering uh, called GraphQL Workshops, I believe. And it is, um, 
it is you're offering a GraphQL workshop, essentially. Um, tell me a little bit about that, what's involved with the workshop. Uh, and then I, I'd also love to chat about um, your thoughts about what what you need to know before you start offering a workshop, um, whether you need to have certain established uh, ticket sales before you actually go and commit to, to offer a workshop or, or if you just kind of offer it and hope that people show up. I'm curious about your thoughts there too. Yeah, so we wrote uh, the Learning React book and then we moved on to the Learning GraphQL book. We had done mainly um, private workshops for companies. And then with GraphQL, mm -hmm. it was our first foray into teaching public workshops. So that was sort of a new thing for us, <laughs> ticket sales and all those types of things. Um, as far as the content goes, uh, it really followed the path of our book, um, but just going more in depth and hands-on on really, as Alex said before, everything you need to know to get started with GraphQL. Um, mm -hmm. I think for us, uh, learning GraphQL early on, there weren't as many resources as we would have hoped for. And so we wanted to build something that really takes people through the process. And so it was two days full stack GraphQL, or it is, I don't know, I said was, you can totally take that still. Um, but uh, we focus on the server side day one with Apollo server and then get into client stuff with React on the second day. Uh, what yeah, else? I mean, our skill set, we've been doing corporate training for a long time. Yeah. So, like, we knew how to put together a class and go into a classroom and deliver that training well before yeah. we wrote books or, or recorded videos. In fact, when we started writing a book, we were kind of like, well, what do we do? <laughs> and then we were like, okay, well, why don't we just, like, start writing like it's 9 a.m., right? <laughs> Chapter one is 9 a.m. <laughs> and just write, like, what we do through the training day so that the book actually became materials for our first class. So our first class in right. React, we used the book as the student materials, and the same was true um, – with GraphQL. So we had the experience on the class, but also we didn't have uh, the following. So it's kind of interesting mm -hmm. as the as we built a following uh, over the years, especially in the GraphQL community, then we were able to actually just put classes on the schedule and have people sign yeah. up in an open enrollment manner. But we hadn't previously done that. And we still do a lot of corporate training too. So it's like, gotcha. if you want your teams at your office trained and, and stuff like that, we usually just work out a contract with a company. So it was pretty interesting to be like, well, how much should we charge per student and stuff like that? <laughs> Right, right. So, yeah, because yeah. usually it's a yep. contract to deliver X amount of days of training and so on and so forth. So yeah, it was a different business entirely. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. What, so that's that's an interesting um, thing to maybe go into. Then is corporate training because that that seems like a sweet deal, right? Like you you've got an offering that um, you know a company wants to bring you in for. Uh, it's very sort of specific. We need our developers trained in X, Y, and Z. So let's get somebody in here to to do that. Um, what are some ways, though, to get in front of companies to kind of make yourselves known, uh, I suppose, because uh, I, I suppose there are a number of ways you could do it. Ha having some recognition in the industry from developers who might be on you know, social media or whatever uh, and in those companies, perhaps that's a good way. Um, and maybe that's one way that you go about it. Uh, but then maybe like some people might be thinking, well, do I have to sort of cold call these companies? Um, what have you found to be a good way to kind of secure that kind of business with these companies that you do this corporate training for well that's interesting because we've been doing this for a long time and realistically we worked through other companies so mm -hmm. i got into training in the year 2000 because the government consulting agency that i worked for had a training room and they were doing classes okay. and i was like i have a theater background and i was like wouldn't it be wonderful to be in front of everybody all day so <laughs> like that's how it started but um 
you know, when I left DC and stuff, I just worked through agencies that had the contracts. So places like uh, Celebrate and um, and other training agencies. And then when we were out here, it was the same thing. We worked with a company called Silicon Bay uh, and another company okay. called Develop Intelligence. So we taught classes for Develop Intelligence for a long time. So they kind of vet the trainers, these companies, and then they get oh, the contracts, okay. right? So Got it's it. not. So both this this is very, a very interesting conversation today because there's two things with everything. You can build your own publishing company, just yeah. like you can build your own training business to do the training, or yeah. you can find partners to do that. For us, it's a no-brainer because we don't, we're not very good at sales. <laughs> so okay, so a lot yeah. of a lot of these training companies, that's what they specialize at is sales yeah. and relationships and keeping relationships with large organizations that will have continuous training. So they just pick up a phone and they call their their friend at another company and uh, and ask for trainers and then their supply. Right, okay. So um, interesting. So that's how it started. We didn't really get into the place where we were doing all of this training on our own until we had the recognition. So then at a certain point, yeah, we were able to leave uh, all of the companies that we worked with behind on that because we had so many training requests directly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that came literally from the book and from people watching yeah. window courses and going to conferences and Twitter and things like that. But um, yep. yeah, that whole infrastructure was there for sales and thankful we don't I tried to do a lot of cold calling early on and I wasn't <laughs> particularly suited for that. But um, luckily with our content that brings more clients to us versus yeah. doing outreach. And after years of gotcha. doing it too, it's like a name game. I mean, we've we've trained engineers pretty much every large company. We used to mm. uh, uh, be a part of the onboarding program at Yahoo. So we used to teach engineers mm. uh, test-driven development, behavior-driven development, how to stand up apps and their environment and stuff like that. So like after we had years of experience doing that, that stuff would all, that, you know, you'd be talking to somebody and it wasn't like, oh, you're going to come in and teach your first training class ever at our company. Right, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Makes sense. That's cool. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. Like you said there, Alex, like there's, there's these two sides of, of everything. Like, you know, in my mind, I hadn't even really considered that that would be, you know, an option somebody might look to is to go through an established company who specializes in that. What would be, if someone is cu curious about going that route, like you did, what's, what's something that they should keep in mind, I suppose, if they're like looking for an established uh, company who is sort of the face of, of these workshop offerings to, to try to get in, in with them is, is that even is that even like a viable option to tr like try to try to go through those companies just cold like say hey you know I've got skills in, in this area this area in this area can you find me some workshops to deliver is that uh, is that absolutely a, a way you can go about it okay yeah for yeah. sure there's a ton of different companies who are actively seeking trainers all the time because they do have huge sales departments who are making calls and building those relationships with companies and right. big companies will they just have training rooms and there's always a class going on <laughs> yeah. and they need someone to stand in front of that class and yeah develop so, intelligence yeah. and like training associates like those places are here like develop intelligence they probably have like 40 classes going on today so it's like <laughs> wow. like yeah and all Big. across the country all around the world i mean that's the real thing is like if you're going to be a trainer it's like get used to traveling because yeah. part of it is mm. is like you're not just going to be teaching down the street the people need training all across the country you yeah. know it's not yep. just in silicon valley or something like that it's it's literally everywhere and around the world yeah yeah it makes sense that's cool so do you do the two of you travel for a good portion of the year or is it at this point are you starting to scale that back at all we've scaled that back quite a bit we at first uh were traveling down there 
down there, down to the Bay Area, maybe every other week. And now uh, it's less frequently. We're doing a lot of uh, video content and we're yeah. writing books. And also we're working with uh, PayPal right now to design their GraphQL curriculum. So okay. um, that's kind of a an angle that we really want to apply our skills of designing these courses to support other trainers who work internally at these companies so that yeah. everybody who needs to learn GraphQL at a big enterprise company learns it in a consistent way so that they can right. really work with it. So, Yeah, that's our thing. Gotcha. We figure we can train trainers now um, and develop materials um, yep. that, that go throughout the training day. When I started in training, we had that. Training materials okay. was a big industry. And I think with the open source stuff, it kind of fell off and we're, we're kind mm. of attempting to bring it back, so. Okay, interesting. So one thing that I'd love to ask is about your approach perhaps to negotiating with companies, maybe even like the PayPal example, right? With the curriculum that you've got. Uh, or that you're you're helping them to develop, um, and and maybe even just the example of like if you're going inside a company, you're going to train their developers. Um, do you have any kind of tips for how you might approach or even just think about a negotiation with those kinds of companies when it comes to just even price and offering and that sort of thing? Um, is it is it often the case that they'll say, "Here's what we'll pay you." Uh, you know, do the training for us for this price, or else don't do it. Or do you have to? propose a price to them i'm just curious about like if that's if that's like a a, a laborious part of, of of the deal is is trying to decide on how much they're actually going to give you to to carry out the training yeah i think it depends uh for example the graphql workshop the two-day workshop that's sort of a built product that we can go in and teach at a company so we have kind of a price in mind when we go talk to them and propose that um and then as far as a custom training program that would be a longer proposal so yeah. that really has to do with how many students are we teaching what are our travel expectations how much time will be really going into this it's um, consulting and it's, it's consulting really, yeah, yeah so. so yeah it's really case by case basis um the workshops are a little more standardized as far as price and that becomes a little easier to negotiate but right. um the longer as you said consulting projects are take as long as consulting projects so <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and that's i mean that was our approach on that too because we were like well how do we do this and it's like well we knew how to run consulting projects um and, run, and we're like we'll just you know have a lot of meetings figure out exactly what they need yeah. and then put together a plan and a proposal that comes with right. the cost and time frames and all of that stuff. But again, you know, for those years and years and years that we were training, we leaned on other places to do all of that stuff. They were yeah. just like, they were like, show up this day at this time <laughs> at this place yeah. and be ready to teach D3. <laughs> like, you know, so. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I had Kent Cedar on, on the podcast recently and he was talking about how for his testing JavaScript course, he wanted to go through Egghead specifically because they take care of so much of the, I suppose, the admin work, uh, the support work, et cetera, that, that is around that. And so that model of going through a company to offer a workshop, I, I suppose it's the same thing, right? They're taking care of all the admin and, and allowing you to focus on what you want to do, um, which which makes me curious. Now that you've got you know your own offering and everything, do you have... Um, maybe virtual assistants or, or others that help support you in those offerings? Or is it just the two of you sort of doing everything around that? 
the sexiest fight, Egghead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. we do lean on other partners, so we still work with O'Reilly. Uh, we work with Egghead quite a bit, and we don't have a designer as good as Maggie Appleton to <laughs> design all of our graphics, so uh, we can rely on her. Um, so, yep. so yeah, other than that, for our own offerings, it's just the two of us. So yeah. We're big on just staying in your lane. Like, not because it's like we have so much stuff to do in curriculum development, and that's where we kind of shine. So as, as mm-hmm. much as we can find people to help in other areas, it's yeah. like it, I know that, like, if we – us as marketers and salespeople, we're just not as good at it. We didn't study mm. that stuff so long. And like, so it's really neat when you get somebody who is really good at that stuff to help you um, because then you're producing things at the quality that, that you really want. But like the training stuff, we're trying to just do things so that we can be focused on curriculum development yeah. with a majority of our time. Yeah, and Taylor yeah. Bell and Joel mm-hmm. Books can write our emails for us, and a lot more people are on those lists than our own. So. Yeah, and like just <laughs> just generally like help us understand how to market things, right? And what yeah, because yeah, they have a special, definitely have a special skill set there for for those those things. So I, I think that's that's definitely a good call. Um, curious about your thoughts around this is something that I I am mindful of um, from time to time because I like doing conferences I like going to conferences and speaking and um, you know hanging out with my friends as well is usually what what that uh, involves which is great Um, but there is I think going to conferences a lot and and doing a lot of engagements it's got an opportunity cost associated with it like the time that you're there is time that you're not spending um, you know getting work done at your desk for example and I, I don't know how, how many conferences appearances the two of you do, but I know that we've been together at the GraphQL Summit uh, before. And so I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts around how valuable conferences would be for the business side of things. I mean, conferences, I think, are valuable in many, many ways, but do you even, like, is that even something that you put thought to is like, hmm, how does a conference, if I go there and spend some time at it, help to develop the business at all? Um, curious about your thoughts there. Yeah, this is something we think about a lot. <laughs> yeah, so we just had to like limit the amount of conferences that we go to and then get the most bang for our buck out of the conferences that we do is yeah. basically the way that we look at that. You could totally get caught up in going to conferences all, all the time. And we mm-hmm. get nothing done when we go to a car. Like I, I see yeah, other people yeah, working in a beanbag, like or something. Like <laughs> we don't get stuff done until we come back from the conference, yeah. and then maybe a day in between. Then we get started again. You know, like so. So yep. it's really it's really bad for us in that in that aspect. Our lives have been pretty seasonal. So like right now we're trying to crank on a lot of materials and we have a lot of things that we're about to release and then we'll probably um, follow it up by going on conferences to introduce all of these Mm. things and we kind of do them all at once. So we'll go on a little conference tour for like three months or so and then... Right, and then we're back at it. So it's like yeah. it's like a it's like a musician writing an album and <laughs> yeah. recording it and then touring it, just like that. And exactly. We do, we do it during the winter. We want to be home during the winter, so that's like really yeah. the key too. So we're like, if we're writing and recording videos, we can be home. We can go skiing in the morning and then do that. And yeah. uh, so that we won't worry about the highway <laughs> being closed when we try to go to the yeah. airport. Yeah. All those types of things because of snow, it's real. <laughs> it's really yeah. scary to fly out of Reno in a snowstorm too. It's like <laughs> oh, it's, bad, it feels yeah. like bricks are just hitting the plane. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, staying home during that is is probably good. But um, as far as so, but you sorry. have cut back though. Oh, sorry, uh, I was just gonna say. You, you, so it sounds like you have cut back on conference attendance in general. I suppose. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, speaking at a few conferences has been really huge for our business. Um, we've put a lot of 
effort into our I think talks. That's the other and thing, I think we put a lot of work into it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh we want to we want to really make sure that all of our conference talks have a lot of impact. So we put a lot of uh, time into those. And so hmm. if we're constantly tweaking conference talks and demos and things like that, it's something that can tend to run away with time. And then we have deadlines for other things. And right. it's something that we love going to conferences and meeting people, as you said, and hanging out with our friends. But it's something that we have for sure cut back on um Our and i've been very guilty of signing up for way too much stuff and so <laughs> yeah. i'm trying to yeah. learn from my mistakes on that what we've decided is is that if we go to like less conferences we can put more in our talks yes. and have more mm. of an impact and we want True. people to come see us talk when we go to a conference we want the vibe to be like what are these guys going to do now? So like, yeah, and yeah. that's like, <laughs> so putting that effort into a conference talk and stuff like that is also part of it. It's not like, sure. we're just like, okay, well we can do this for 30 minutes on the plane and stuff like that. We kind of yeah. take that stuff maybe a little too, too far, but we met, <laughs> we met doing comedy. So we met at second city okay. in Chicago. And stuff. Oh, so really? we're, we're, yeah, it's like our time to go back and, and and work out that stuff. So. <laughs> okay, so so we have to take a sidebar here and talk about Second City. Then. That's that's really interesting. So Second City uh, is pretty world renowned, is it not? Is it? It's a very famous comedy. Uh, yes, me and all my friends. Right? We all moved there because we were going to be on Saturday Night Live and like movie right? stars and stuff like that. Okay, and that happened for a couple of us, but not everybody. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Any 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 names you can drop as to who you were there with? Um, who's like the most famous person? Keegan Michael Key. Keegan Michael Key is the most famous, famous but he was one of our teachers yeah. when we were there. Um, Interesting. Yeah, just there's tons of, tons and tons of people. Um, yeah. Who, like, who, <laughs> Jordan Klepper. I did a lot of stuff with Jordan Klepper. Um, and he has his show on Comedy Central and was on The Daily Show. Um, T.J. Miller is somebody that really? we used to do a lot of performing cool. with and um, yeah. comedy shows and whatnot. And then there's like a lot of people who are like really famous in the comedy industry, but like yeah. not the rest of the world knows about them. TJ Jagodowski is one of those people. <laughs> okay. um, so he's, you probably have seen him in the Sonic commercials. He does the Sonic commercials. That's how the rest yeah, of the world yeah. knows okay. about him. Yeah, yeah. But he's also like one of the people who's taught everybody comedy. And when you watch him improvise, he's like one of the best at yeah. it. So. <laughs> okay. So, you know, this is actually, this is an interesting topic to, to start to, to go on because I have been curious about whether or not doing, maybe not comedy specifically, but doing something around improv <clears throat> is helpful for things like doing talks and, and delivering workshops and, and I guess just being in front of uh, an audience in general. Um, do you see any, like, is there anything that you, you took from your time at Second City that you can point to and you've been like, well, that's been helpful in my delivering this workshop or, or doing these talks or anything like that? I, I just, I've always been curious as to whether or not that's something I should put some effort into is like getting outside of my comfort zone and, and doing an improv class, for example. Um, would you recommend it at all? Or yeah, what do you think? Absolutely. So we, we give a lot of talks on like on this type of stuff in particular at like local okay. meetups and things like that. Um, so at Second City, you learn how to improvise, but you also learn a lot about like character, relationship, and point of view. And these are things that work across the board. There's like tricks, engagement tricks, and comedy tricks that you can use that we do all the time. And um, <clears throat> so one of the biggest ones that we always talk about is 
if you're writing a proposal for a talk and you want people to accept your talk, one of the easiest tricks that you get from the comedy world is to raise the stakes. So you mm. can like raise the stakes of your proposal and make it seem more important. Make it seem like, oh, it's dire. Like if you don't have this talk, you're going to die or something like that. Like, you know, like that's just a small So what's an example? Huh? So how, how, how would you write that in? I'm curious to like a proposal. Say, oh, say you're like, submitting to GraphQL Summit and you want to talk about something with Apollo server. What's what's a what's a way that you Well, raise our the example there? for GraphQL Summit last year, we raised the stakes by turning it into a game show. So we were like this okay. isn't just a thing, it's a GraphQL game show that's going to use subscriptions to and that was like specifically right. specifically how we do that there. A lot of times it's just important. Eve at her React rally, her proposal for that was just a very focused three things and it sounded like these are the three things that you need to know about GraphQL oh. as a developer to survive in the world. You know, so it's just like raising <laughs> yeah. the Important, yeah. like oh wow like f like generating FOMO like you know like you yeah. need to hear this yeah. talk or you're not gonna make it you know I'm sorry I have another <laughs> career in mind like <laughs> uh, but the other the other one that helps us in class and on stage is having a point of view so okay. like you know really sinking into a character whether that's yourself and your own but having a point of view on things like and that could be like I love this or I hate this but mm. then repeatedly as those things come up you like have a reaction to it when you see code on your screen you have an emotional reaction to that based upon your point of view um, interesting okay and that stuff like just helps it just helps drive engagement so there's like a number of, of little tricks like that but raising the stakes having a point of view uh, are probably two of the biggest go-tos that, that we Interesting. have. Cool, thank you. Yeah, that's 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 cool. I, I, I've given thought to, to something like an improv class for the reasons that you just outlined, right? Learning these, these kind of uh, tips and tricks and, and things like that. And also, I suppose, well, if, I guess for me, it's like, it's mostly about how can I be more engaging in general? Um, you know, I've got <clears throat> a certain amount of confidence that I can deliver good technical content to people when if you know I'm doing a talk or if I'm delivering a workshop or whatever but I think now what I, I really am interested in focusing on is like how do I how can I best make it not boring you know what I mean like like there's there's only so far you can go with solid technical material until people just they start to maybe disengage somewhat just because we're human, right? And it's it's a little bit, uh, it can be a little bit trying to just sit through somebody who's perhaps a little bit monotone, for example. So so anyway, all that to say, I, I think that I've been giving thought to improv and it sounds like it's, uh, it, it can be a useful endeavor then. Yeah, absolutely. And like one of the easiest tricks, honestly, we did it at Second City all the time. I used to work at the theater, um, music, right? Yeah. So like, okay. just think about yourself when you're at something, right? And you know that you've gone to see a show. It could be a show, a conference. It could be a talk. It could be a concert where you're like, where they lower the lights and some music comes up. And you're mm. like, wait, like, what's going to happen this here? This is something. Like, yeah. oh, let me put my cell phone down. You know what I'm saying? Or like whatever yeah. that big engagement hit is. So music, we, we brought a speaker with us to Reactathon last year. We bought <laughs> a giant speaker because sometimes the music isn't loud enough at these conferences. And that's right. the one thing we're harping on. It's like, well, so we, we, take we that need into loud music. <laughs> So most of our talks will start with like loud music. It sets the tone like this is different. Like, you know, everything's yeah, yeah. kind of quiet and monotone in this room. And now it's like dirty deeds, done dirty, <laughs> you know, all out. And it kind of creates a vibe like something else is about to happen here. Um, and cool. the, dude, we did that in theater all the time. When the lights went down, good songs that would pump everybody up went up before anybody yeah, ever yeah. hit the stage. So and that also <laughs> speaks to your point about point of view. And mm -hmm. that's like, this is different. How if there's a 
12 talks during the day just doing anything different it doesn't have to be like you don't have to set out to be hilarious on stage but you can have an angle that's interesting and engaging and captivates the audience and from going to conferences too there are always things that wow people one is live coding yeah so it's like Mm. live code Everybody seems, everybody's like, well, that's impossible. But realistically, it's like rehearsing anything. It's like remembering your lines. Yeah. Like, we don't yeah. show up and just like live code for the first time. We've coded that. <laughs> so many <laughs> Again times. and again. And have notes, but we don't need to follow them because we've done it. So right. we've noticed that that works. Um, and we're also exploring more interactive demos. So the last couple okay. talks we've given, we've allowed everybody in the audience to connect to the talk um, from their phones. And we do stuff with WebSockets mm. um, to help. So we're also exploring that's ways cool. in which, because a cool demo and some live coding, those are things from the tech world that we're all like, oh, wow, when we see that stuff. So, you know, a lot of it's just taking note when you're at a conference and you're watching people talk and and the talks are like phenomenal. It's like, what are the things that this person is doing? Why do you like that? Mm -hmm. Why do you think that's different than everyone else? And the number (laughs) one thing, this was true at Second City and everything too, is be vulnerable. The, if you're, Mm. if you're vulnerable, the, the most vulnerable talks are sometimes the best. Yeah. Sure. So vulnerable in which way uh, are you thinking? Like just like personally vulnerable? Like here's some here's a story about myself where I messed something up, that kind of thing. Or? That stuff, yeah. What's yeah the- for sure? I think um, Henry uh, from the Babel team gave a wonderful talk at React Rally a couple of years ago, so good. just about how contributing to open source has been so taxing on him as a person and how he's right. learned from that, and it was incredible. And like, I think everyone connected to that right away and there's a lot of different ways of being engaging than just being like oh we gotta yuck it up and be funny (laughs) that's what we'll do of course but uh i think he did an incredible job of just being really honest about how like this thing we all do coding has really made his life difficult in a lot of ways and there have been trade-offs for being so invested in Babel and giving back so much so that was pretty amazing that's cool. That's such a that's such a tough one. Like the open source maintainer life is 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 a is it's such an interesting uh, kind of weird one because you know you you get a lot of recognition in some ways, but then you get a lot of crap in in other ways too. And it's not like you're being paid. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you're getting some donations, but you're not really getting paid for this stuff as as you should be. And then there's companies making millions and billions off of you, right? It's such a strange, strange one to me. Anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but uh, but that's cool. That that's uh, that's something that that I've thought about too. Is like, um, you know, what can I what can I talk about that would be maybe more story based? I guess too, even even if it's not something that's like. Uh, super vulnerable, like here's my life uh, story, deepest darkest moments kind of thing. It's 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 how can I engage the audience with a story? Um, which I'm curious, actually, is that at all an element that you would bring into like a workshop offering or other sort of in front of people engagement, or is or is it not so useful there? I, I, I'm curious about maybe um, some other tricks, tips and tricks you use in workshops. That's really funny, and I, I really would love to think about that more. Our story for the workshop is you're a developer that needs to know GraphQL. We take you through the chapters of that story. Uh, but yeah, that's that's yeah. an interesting proponent. I know that when it's when you do talks and stuff like that, having a story or a theme, it just makes yeah. everything easier because yeah. now you know that everything has to go along the lines of this theme. Yeah. So it gives you the ability to like cut out stuff that's not a part right. of that. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Workshop wise, I wonder if like, you know, bring like having a narrative that maybe focuses on like a case study or something of this company wasn't using GraphQL and their lives sucked. And then they started doing it. They started using it and things got so much better you yeah. know, to carry yeah. it and to, I don't know. That's super interesting. But, yeah. but, That's a great uh, but anyway, the, these elements of story and elements of, of human sort of, I guess, just these, these touch points that we all have, I think those are, those are great. So thank you for that. Um, so one thing I'm curious about, if, if folks are interested in getting started offering a workshop, um, but maybe aren't so interested in going through an established company like you've mentioned already, um, you know, they want to offer their own thing. Um, do you have any advice for, for how they might get into that? Uh, things maybe that, that would be good to do at the outset if you, if you maybe don't want to go through a company, but you still want to try to offer a workshop? Yeah, start local. Yeah. So there's all a, there's always stuff on the local level, you know. Um, even here in Tahoe and Reno, we have um, tons of local networking groups and meetup groups and people who need to learn. So we actually have piloted a few courses up here. Yeah. Um, it's like our first version of the GraphQL workshop and stuff, which we've given for free mm. for the community. But people would have signed up for it. And I think like in Sacramento, it's the same thing. We've seen people down there that just do local courses. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll come into a meetup and say, "Hey, everybody, sign up for my." Um, two-day React class is going to be on these two Saturdays and, and so on and so forth. And then that's a good place, I think, to get started. Yeah, I would say for us, uh, we did, much like everything we do, we did everything out of order. So I think, like, <laughs> it's worked out fine. But uh, I think blogging and building a mail list and things like that would have yeah. made our process of trying to sell public courses a whole lot easier uh, had we right. started sooner. I think we were pretty late on the Twitter game as well. Um, and okay. that's something that we could have probably uh, invested more time in. And then that will just support your work with workshops. Um, we spend yeah. a lot of time with curriculum development. So just really dialing in your materials and outline is such a huge piece of what we do. Um, it's not just like, oh, we're going to show up and talk for eight hours about GraphQL. It's like every minute is planned out for uh, ensuring that we can each teach the same course uh, no matter yeah. what we do. So I think working on materials as well and putting that in front of local audiences is a good way of vetting that content. I would also say if you're designing a course to make a good course, I think a lot of people go to like defaulting to expert stuff. Yeah. So if you have mm -hmm. like a React course, oh, well, I want to teach like the most expert things and yeah. welcome to my course. But realistically, I don't think that's why people come to courses. Um, mm -hmm. So even if you are teaching advanced stuff to create success. So like no matter what, so that every student when they're in the course for that first hour, those first two hours, that they're able to do it, that there's something right. that's like not too. So once you start creating success, then you can kind of turn up the difficulty as things yeah. go along. And because what, what you end up with is students will say, okay, well that's really difficult, but I learned what I needed to know because realistically, mm -hmm. the whole point of all of this stuff is to be easier, right? Like the whole reason mm -hmm. we're using GraphQL or React or all these things is to make things easier. So sometimes um, courses can be overwhelming if we overwhelm people with like the cons of React or GraphQL in the first hour versus like we're going to build stuff and we're really focused on making everybody successful so that they have the confidence to really keep going yeah. throughout the yeah, course. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> so you, you said you were late to the Twitter game, but what's interesting is you're very early to things like React taking off, GraphQL as well, arguably, right? You were sort of early in these aspects. How did you 
sort of assess, or did you, I guess my question is, did you think that those technologies were going to be big when you were first starting to write about them and, and offer material about them? Or was it just because they piqued your interest? Um, I'm curious if you had like an inkling that these things were going to be big or and that's why you focused on them uh, or if it was maybe just the other way around, just that they were cool and fun to work with. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. So we got introduced to React. We were doing uh, onboarding and we were teaching Node.js uh, classes at Yahoo and they killed YUI. And all of our front end materials were built out of YUI. So I said, what are you using now? And they said React and I'd never heard of it. So then (laughs) I went to like mess around with React and I kind of hated it for the first couple hours because I didn't like any type of pre-processing. And at the time I was a big Mm. fan of like vanilla JavaScript or like a small framework like Backbone or something like that. and then it just clicked and I loved it. And not only that, I realized that, you know, from this is everything we were trying to do in web development. Like I remember teaching XML classes and the whole thing mm. about XML coming up was like, oh yeah, you're gonna be able to design these components and use them and so on and so forth. So it felt very similar to, to that. And I was like, mm-hmm. this kind of got, this kind of made like that successful, even though that didn't, XML didn't become super successful for, for UI design and stuff like that. It made it that. So I was like, this is going to be huge. And I thought that hmm. basically every company and every developer was going to be moving to this at some point. And that was, right. you know, after about five hours of using it. So yeah, we totally bet on hmm. technologies and we bet on that one. Yeah. And I think we enjoyed working with it too. It wasn't just like, oh, we're very devious and we're going to, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make a lot of, impact in this one area but it was more like we enjoy working with it we think other people will too we were introduced to graphql via react and that whole like uh facebook developer ecosystem that was going on Mm -hmm. and graphql was the same way we really enjoyed working with it working with graphical is just what an awesome tool (laughs) to Mm -hmm. really get people hooked on graphql and so that's something that we were lucky to know about then as well and they're the technologies that like we use so like that's Mm -hmm. the real key and i'm not like we're not somebody who's like okay well learn to use everything and use everything you know like Mm -hmm. realistically if you have like a web development shop you're gonna pick a stack and go with that stack like um So I think that helps too. But the GraphQL thing was like extra funny because the same thing happened. I was like, oh wow, this is like React for your data. This is awesome. This is gonna dominate Mm -hmm. and drive everything. And then I was like, Eve, so we finished the React book and we had all the React trading. And I was like, Eve, we should write a book on GraphQL. And Eve was like, no, I don't wanna write another book. (laughs) We we just finished writing that book. Like I was ready for a book break. And then- I was like, GraphQL is gonna be huge. And then O'Reilly called us the next day and asked us to oh, write wow. a the very next book. Day. And I was like, see, it's no fate. Like, and, and, you know, and honestly, like, we're more in the GraphQL world these days than we are, yeah. you know, in the React world. There's a lot of uh, React training and classes and materials, and there's, like, not not as much in the in the GraphQL world. So we've been yeah. we've been really lucky with that, to be honest. So. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm curious about your thoughts about, uh, you know, because folks who are wanting to offer training, maybe they want to do... They, they want to offer a course or just even like a, a series of screencasts or whatever. I think it's tempting to think that you see all of these courses and all of these uh, teachers uh, teaching about things like React, and you might think, man, that's like really saturated already. 
it's probably not worthwhile to try to, to focus there. Um, but I, I, you know, I think it might be the opposite where it's like, that's an indication that there's such a large proportion of developers that are interested in those topics that it, it, there, there's a good chance it's probably still underserved. Um, do you, do you see that at all? Like, is that, is that something that folks should have in mind? Um, or do you, do you think that there is such a thing here that we're seeing like saturation because there's so many developers, uh, that are teaching like react specifically, for example? Yeah, I think there are so many people on this earth in general and so many developers who have not been introduced to some of these things and I recently spoke at a conference in October and it was a room full of 200 people who had never used React before ever hmm. and I have a tendency to think because I'm on Twitter reading tweets about React and GraphQL all day that everybody already knows all this stuff and it's right. not like no one needs to know this why am I a good person to explain this to them. And I think that you, no matter who you are, have a unique perspective that you can share with people and your course is different than other people's courses. You're gonna approach things differently and there's a huge market for people uh, who are just looking for the right class that clicks with them so that they can do their job. We're trying to help yep. people do their job and there's a lot of web developer jobs out there that need to be filled. So We also think about like, there are people who are new to React every day. Yeah. And, you know, and that's mm -hmm. something that we're thinking about like a lot right now as we write the second edition to this book is yeah. that how do we, you know, we're not really necessarily thinking about everybody who's knows and has been working with React for a long time. Yeah. Again, we're assuming you're grabbing our book and reading it because this is like, you need to have these skills like, right. tomorrow. And it's very interesting because React has matured so much that a good example of this is like, the way it seems pretty common to teach hooks is to be like, well, it's like the life cycle. So this is what you would do mm. instead of the life cycle. But if you're brand new, you can't learn the life cycle mm. just to learn hooks. So we've been sure. thinking about like, well, how do you teach people this stuff when it's the first time that they've seen it? Yep. And it That's took smart. us a lot of work and a lot of effort, but we're pretty proud of like some of our hook content because it comes <laughs> from that angle. We don't we don't teach it using the component life cycle because we're assuming you don't know what that is. So. Yep. <laughs> That's smart. Well, I, I mean that the whole next generation of React developers will not have, they'll not be privy to that that prior knowledge, right? So, yeah. that's 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 smart for sure. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's wise. I, I sometimes I get hung up. Like if I'm thinking about what to teach, um, like for example, I just I actually just started my my foray into teaching on Egghead. Um, so I've got a number of videos on GraphQL up there now. Yeah. And when I start when I started approaching it, like some of the very first videos that I did were more advanced topics, right? Like how to use the info argument to scope down your database queries and stuff like that. And the thing that I'm always tempted by and, and that I, I really, I've got to work, it's like I have to work to, to, to make myself not do this, is if the smartest, if, if this isn't the something that the smartest developer out there doesn't know, then it's not worth teaching, right? Um, like it, it's, it's only worth teaching if like Dan Abramov doesn't know how to do this. <laughs> and, 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 and only at that point, only at that point is this top, topic worthwhile. Um, which is such a it's a such a dumb way to, to look at it, and of course it's not true, right? Because there's <laughs> there's mo most developers out there aren't going to have that prior knowledge. But it's anyway all all that to say it's 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 easy for me anyway, and I think a lot of people that I've talked to as well, it's easy to to think about what topic to teach and be like, oh, well, all of that's covered already. It's way too um, 
elementary to, to be worthwhile. But but in reality, I think it's the opposite, right? Like it's the more elementary stuff is, is probably the stuff that's most needed. It's the fundamentals. You know, we, we get into this all mm -hmm. the time. Um, what makes an expert an expert isn't the cool stuff. It's their ability to execute fundamentals flawlessly. A good right. example of this, we always use skiing as the example. Everybody who comes to a ski class wants to learn how to do a backflip, right? But the person doing the backflip can carve perfectly into the backflip right. and get down anything. And like, so that's the key. It's like you don't. It's not backflip first <laughs> when it comes to yep. learning skiing. And it's the same thing with technology. Like realistically, the core of what we're working on is far more important than the fringes. Yeah. Like if yeah. we can execute the fundamentals flawlessly and speak the same language, then you can learn stuff for your edge cases. Mm -hmm. You can invent mm -hmm. stuff for your edge cases. If we we get into this a lot where we'll go and want to do a GraphQL training at a company and they say, well, our engineers are really smart, so let's just skip the beginning stuff and go right mm -hmm. to the advanced. And it's like, no, that's like, it's, you want to look at it the other way, whereas realistically, right. your engineers are smart, but they haven't heard of GraphQL. And when they leave, we want them executing the fundamentals flawlessly so that they can contribute to the conversation. So that they can come into the meeting where the GraphQL experts are designing the schema and be like, hey, I know this, and I know this, and I know that, and I know that. Now, what's this weird, like, kind of complicated return type that you're doing? They didn't teach us that in the course, but I can talk to GraphQL operations. I can talk to resolvers. I understand everything about the foundation of this. So I understand this concept, too, right. as opposed to being taught that concept and skipping the foundation. An expert mm -hmm. chef executes the fundamentals flawlessly. And it's not yeah. necessarily about making a complicated dish, right, or a dish that has, like, all sorts of food and sauces in it. An expert chef will take chicken, leeks, and potatoes and make those things shine with simple beauty. And I find programming is the exact same way. We're in this to yeah. write beautiful code and to have simplistic solutions that are just gorgeous. And that doesn't come from learning like all of these edge cases. That comes from paying special and close attention to the fundamentals. Yeah, I like that. I think that's that's spot on. Uh, and probably a good point to start wrapping up on. Uh, before we do, though, where can people find you uh, online? And where can they perhaps even take a GraphQL workshop if they are, are so inclined? Uh, yeah, you can find us at moonhighway.com. We have okay. a blog there. We started blogging. <laughs> so <laughs> We have Twitter accounts now. We have too. Twitter <laughs> accounts now. You can find us at Eve Porcello and... Uh, I'm Moon Tahoe because Alex Banks is taken on Twitter. All right. <laughs> yeah, he missed the window on Alex Banks. But um, we also have courses on Egghead and Linda, and you can keep an eye out for the second edition of Learning React. It should be coming out in June. Awesome. We have some free workshops, to too. Um, yes. We have a okay. workshop called GraphQLs for Everyone, and it's literally for everyone. The workshop is designed for project managers, uh, administrators, and other stakeholders who want to be cool. a part of what's going on. Um, so you can find On Moon Highway 2 the listings yeah. of when we offer those. Awesome. We will link all of that up in the show notes. Um, well, this has been a blast. I, I really appreciate you taking the time today to sit down. And it's been a lot of fun uh, chatting with you. So uh, I hope to see you at the next GraphQL Summit. I'm sure we'll probably all three of us will be there um, unless uh, other things arise. But uh, until then, I'll chat with you online. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you once again so much for tuning in to the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. This has been episode 23 with Eve Porcello and Alex Banks. 
You can find show notes with links to all the resources that even Alex mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow along on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you'd like to subscribe, you can go to ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review. Until next time, happy hacking. Thank you.